And what I want to do this morning is I just want to piggyback a little bit of what Clayton has been speaking about over the last two weeks, about the importance of the gospel and living out the gospel daily. What does it mean to live out the gospel daily? But I first of all just want to thank everybody for this incredible facility. And we all get to receive it. We all get to participate in it and get blessed by it. Amen. But as great as this facility is, it's not about the facility. This facility is here to equip people and for people to come to know Jesus Christ and to walk with Him. That's what it's about. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today, that people would come to know, living, live by, experience, walk by, and walk out the gospel in their lives on a daily basis. The fullness of everything, not just part of the gospel, not just something of the gospel, but the fullness of the whole gospel, which I'm going to touch on. Because the gospel basically expresses who God is through Jesus Christ. It's expressed through the fullness of who Christ is. The Bible says the fullness of the deity, the fullness of God lived in Jesus Christ. The fullness, not part, the fullness of the deity was expressed through his son Jesus Christ. And that's why the gospel is so important because it is, it centers around Jesus Christ. Amen. Not about even about doctrine. It centers around a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And this is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we can see that through Jesus, God the Father is displayed and revealed. That verse says that the God of this age, the unseen God, of the demonic realm has wanted to blind people's eyes. And that's why we're always in a war. Not against people, but against that which has blinded people. So we can get rid of that so the eyes can be opened. Hallelujah. This was a primary focus of Paul. The gospel was a primary focus of Paul. Even the way he felt about it was reflected in his writings. This is what he writes to 1 Corinthians. He deals with division. He deals with the nature of the apostolic. He deals with sexual immorality. He deals with forgiveness of a brother who has fallen. He deals with lawsuits. He deals with marriage. He deals with food sacrifice to idols. He deals with Israel's history and the lessons that we can learn from that. He deals with freedom. He deals with worship. He deals with communion. He deals with the gifts of the Spirit. He deals with the oneness of the body, but many parts. He deals with love. He deals with tongues. He deals with prophecy. So there's a lot in 1 Corinthians. But this is what he writes at the end of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. It's amazing that he cut all that and he comes back to the gospel. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believe in vain. So after everything he did and everything he discussed, which we need to be aware of to know how to live it out, but he comes back to the gospel because of the importance of it. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he said this, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
And one of my favorite scriptures, and many of you who've been here a while know this, Romans 1.16. Anybody can quote it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You've got to believe in it. But it is the power of God, people. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God Almighty. It's expressed in and through the gospel. Everything we need for this life to walk on this earth and for life eternal is wrapped up in the gospel. Everything. Your marriage, your kids, raising your kids, your business, your finance, your whatever it is, studies, your going to school, your occupation can be lived out in a kingdom way when we understand and know the gospel. And it has impact because it is the power of God. Not just to go to heaven for today. When we hear and put our faith and our trust and our belief in what Jesus Christ has done through his death, his resurrection and ascension, we step into the gospel we embrace the gospel. That's the entrance point into the gospel. That's the entrance point of embracing the gospel. Jesus put it this way in John 3, 3. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. I tell you no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. So Jesus is saying there's sometime in your life when you were born physically on this earth, and after you were born physically on this earth, God impacted your life, and you got born again. For me, there was a 33. I trust you know when that was in your life, to some degree. You might not know the exact day, particularly if you were born up in a Christian family, and that you just knew that somewhere along that line, Jesus became a reality to you. Don't forget that time. That needs to be cemented in you. That needs to be established in you. I'm a child of God. I got born again. I entered into the kingdom, into the gospel. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, I encourage you. I know you know this. Get Ephesians 1 in you because Ephesians 1 tells you who you are, who you are in Christ and your possessions in Christ, what he has done. And it lists off a lot of things. And so I encourage you, get that inside you. 1 Peter 1, for you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living, enduring Word of God. So when you're born again, what happens to you? You are justified. You are declared righteous, which for me is the cornerstone of everything. I wrote you, the key blessing we receive is of righteousness. It's right standing before God. A righteousness that God accepts. And it is on only that basis and that basis alone that everything else we receive comes because we are stand righteous before our Heavenly Father. Because we have the righteousness of Christ, the gift of righteousness. We are forgiven. We are justified. We have received eternal life. Our hearts get purified. We have Christ dwelling in us. We are shouldered and kept. We have the ability to stand firm. We become overcomers. I don't want to go through it all, but that's what happens when you get born again. Maybe you don't understand it, because I didn't at the time. I had no clue. I came to understand it later but I knew something had happened to me. That's why you've got to come to understand what has happened. Amen. 
I was standing in CVS Pharmacy not too long ago. On the side, there was this little book stand, and I glanced over the book stand, and the title of the book caught me, so I bought it. And basically, the book was very simply this. This particular gentleman who was a pastor at that stage when he wrote the book, he had grown up. There were three brothers in a family. He had grown up in a family that was very poor. And so his mom devoted her life to raising these three boys. And she gave everything of who she was, like most mothers do. So he grew up, he got saved, he started to lead a church. And when he had become established in his life, he decided to take his mom and dad on a, a week's vacation, all paid for the most expensive place. It was up in Niagara Falls in the poshest hotel, etc. So he phoned his mom and he said, listen, I booked this for you. And he knew his mom would say, no, no, no. He said, no, I booked it. You need to go. It'll be our privilege. But he booked it six months ahead. And every now and then he phoned his mom and his mom said, oh, you know, you don't have to do this. He said, no, mom, I want to do this. And probably about two weeks before the date came, she phoned and she said, listen, I don't feel well. I don't think I can go. So he decided to go and visit her a week before the actual date that he had arranged. And when he got there, he was all shocked at her condition. She was very thin. She had lost a lot of weight. She didn't look well. So he got her to a doctor the very next day. And they discovered she had cancer, pancreatic cancer. So they rushed into the hospital, did all the tests, and she was in and out of a coma for a while. And she came around, and the one afternoon she came around, she actually died four days later, unfortunately, so she never got to go. But the second afternoon he was there, was sitting by her bedside when she opened her eyes and she saw him and she said to him, I can't remember his name, she said, son, is Jesus enough? She got to think about eternity. And she asked that question. And that question, him as a pastor, just went inside him. And so what he decided to do was, he said, I'm going to forget all that I've been taught, all the training and all the so-called theology. I'm just going to go into the Word, and all I'm going to do is see what the Word says. Is Jesus enough? That's all I'm going to do. And he did, and that's the book he wrote. And the day before she died, he had already done some digging, and he came to him and he said, Mom, Jesus is enough. Just Jesus is enough. She was born again. She was saved, but she started to question. And folk, I want to tell you Jesus is enough. Not Jesus plus. Not Jesus plus your good works. Not Jesus plus a good life. Not Jesus plus money. Not Jesus plus if I behave well. Jesus is enough. Period. And he wrote that book, and he wrote about life now, life in between when we pass away from this world, and life when Jesus comes back. It's a very encouraging book. He said the hardest chapter he ever wrote in his whole life as a Christian was the chapter on what happens to people that don't walk with Jesus. And it just says what the Gospels say, what Jesus himself said, happens. And it did something inside me to say, Lord, I will make sure I'm open for you to work through me that I can clear the good news wherever you want me to declare it. You just see the value of eternal life. That's why I'm preaching on part of it. Because Jesus is enough, just him. Nothing else, people. Not Jesus in church. 
Jesus. It's good that we are. <laughs> you with me? Settle that inside you. Please settle that inside you. So Jesus is enough. The day you got born again, it's a miracle. It's absolute miracle. It really is. That he can take a heart like Clayton's and change it. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. Eh? So if we know, and if we want to walk in the fullness of the life of Christ, just as we appropriated what he did through the cross, we need to appropriate who he is now. I'll say that again. If we want to walk in the fullness of the gospel now here on this earth and the entirety of the gospel and the effectiveness of the gospel, which is the power of God, just as we appropriate it by believing what he did when he died on the cross, was buried, resurrected, and ascended, just as we believe that and we got born again, we need to believe who he is now and appropriate it for the gospel to have its power. You understand what I'm saying? So the question is, how? How does that take place? How do we appropriate the now? How do we appropriate the much more of our salvation? How do we appropriate the much more of our salvation? Put up Colossians 2.6. The Bible puts it this way. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. That means now. Okay. Romans 5.9 puts it this way. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more, how much more, because we are now justified, we're born again, but how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies... We will reconcile to him through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled, past tense, shall we now be saved through his life. So we're justified and reconciled. And Paul's saying that's great, but now how much more shall we be saved through his life? How much more? So if I ask you what the Lord Jesus has done to save you. What did the Lord Jesus do to save you? Think about it. Most people, like me, would reply, he died to save me. But notice carefully what that scripture says there. Put it back up, please, Romans 5. Through the death of Jesus, we were reconciled. Yet having reconciled, how much more so we were saved by his life? So therefore, it is true that the death of Jesus saves us from the punishment and the consequences of sin and restores to us a true relationship with God the Father. And now we're born again spiritually. But what actually saves us in this life? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the life of Christ in me. Because I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven. But Paul is saying, how much more will I continually be saved by his life? That's living the gospel today. So how? How do we do this? It's a good question. So let me ask you this way. What releases divine ongoing activity in your life and my life? What releases the divine activity? What releases that which is only from God, not from this world, 
only from God. It's divine activity. What releases that into your life and my life so that we can live by his life daily, being delivered from the dominion of sin and the work of the evil one? That's the key. What releases that divine activity? Well, the Bible tells us. Very simple. One word. Faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith. It's not difficult. <laughs> faith. That's what the Bible says. The just, that's the just, justified, shall live by faith. It is childlike faith that takes God precisely at his word. Faith that simply says, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Faith on our part invites and invokes Christ's activity. For without this, we would be treated like animals by instinct. That's how we would be treated. But we're not. We're treated in love. And we have a role to play. So as I put out my faith and trust in Jesus, it invokes his activity. It invokes his divine activity in my life. Clayton put it, how did you put it this morning? Heaven is attracted to Christ in us. So the allness of God, the allness of the gospel, the fullness and the power of God is attracted to something that rises up in my heart that my eyes can't conjure up, my ears can't conjure up, although I can hear the word of God and see the scriptures, but it's something eternal that bubbles up inside me and attracts the divine activity of God. And that's faith. That's when we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Then we are daily being delivered, daily being saved, as the Bible says, because of the resurrection life within me. So my question is, how do we cultivate faith? There are many areas, but I want to touch on four areas. What cultivates faith in you and I? I know faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. I know that. But what cultivates it so we can hear the Word of God and receive the Word of God? What inside my heart cultivates that? For me, it's four areas, four main areas. There are others, but four. First one, love. Romans 5, 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. 2 Corinthians 1 says, His seal of ownership on us, and He put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. Love. Folk, know that you are loved. You are loved by your Father in heaven. Love. When we don't know we loved, we try perform. We try earn. It's what we do. We all do that. When we want the love of our parents, then we try and please them in some way and be good. We do. It's natural because we want to be accepted. So we try and, okay, if I do this for this person, then maybe they'll accept me. You don't have to do anything for God. He loves you. He's so loved that he gave his son before you did anything. Let that settle in you. You are loved. We 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 are loved. It's not earned. It's not to impress. You're just loved. And I won't have to try and earn something. I just have the ability to receive. So love plays a role. Number two, peace. Let's read Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I told you the story when my wife and I had a disagreement, and he said to me, go put it right. I didn't feel like doing this, and this is the scripture he gave me. 
I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Okay, Colossians puts it this way, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as one members of one body were called to peace and be thankful. Very simple. How many of you know it's very difficult to receive from God when you're anxious and fearful and fretting and worried and pacing the floor? We've all been there. We all have. It's so, God, speak to me. Oh, I'm so worried about God. And yet this scripture in Philippians says when we get to that stage, just Tuck yourself away with God. Just tuck yourself away because it says there, do not be anxious about anything. Don't fret. Don't worry. But take it to him in prayer. And in that place, his peace comes. And sometimes it takes a while. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know what I'm talking about. But I'm encouraging you. Tuck yourself away. Get wherever you need to get alone with him and press into him and press into him until you sense that peace come. And it's in that place that he begins to speak to us. His activity, because we now say, yes, Lord, I'm trusting you, I believe. And so faith comes and he speaks. Love, peace. The next one, strength. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says, notice these are the prayers that Paul prayed. It says, may he strengthen your hearts, not your body, your mind, your hearts. And even the previous one is peace in your heart. May strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when he comes with his holy ones. Strengthen your hearts. That's another preach on how to strengthen yourself in God. 1 Samuel 30, this is an amazing scripture about David and a stronghold that he had at that time was a place called Ziglag. And they'd gone out to conquer the enemy and fight. And when they came back, they found that the Amalekites had raided their like base where their children were and their families were and their wives were and their livestock were and their possessions were. And the enemy had taken the whole lot. Go down to verse about 6 or 7 or somewhere around about there. Just keep going. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because his sons and daughters. But then it says, but David found strength in the Lord. David knew how to press into God and go find strength in God. And then after that, the Lord speaks to him and says, now do this, David, do this, David, and do this, David. And they go back and get all their children and their wives back and all their goods back. And then when they come back, some of the men didn't want to share the spoils. And David said, no, no. For those that went to war and those that didn't go to war, the spoils are the same. Let me say, folk, this facility, whether you gave one cent, put in one minute of labor, and somebody put in a hundred and gave a thousand dollars, you receive the same reward because it's for everybody. That's the heart of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Enjoy it together. Enjoy it together. It's fact. It's biblical. And then they get everything back. But David found strength in the Lord. I'm encouraging you. You've got to be able to find strength in God. 
And I'm not promoting anybody. I'm just saying Bill Johnson wrote an incredible book called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. Everyone should get that book. Not to promote him. It's just there's biblical truths in it. That's all. It's just biblical truths in it. So it's love, peace, strength, and the last one is encouragement. May the Lord Jesus himself, God the Father, who loved you by his grace, give eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed. Why encouragement? Because when we're discouraged, it's struggle to hear the Lord. God came to Moses and said to Moses, Moses, go tell the people, I will be the God. I will deliver them. I will give them the promised land. I will never forsake them. I will watch over them. I will make a place for them. Go tell the Israelites. He went to the Israelites and said, God said, he will do this. He will do this. He will do this. He will do this. Exodus 6, 9. It very simply says this. When God spoke to Moses, he went to the people and they did not listen as they were so discouraged. They were so discouraged, they couldn't hear what Moses said. Moses reported Israelites, but they did not listen because of their discouragement. When we are discouraged, we struggled here. Faith disappears. Why do you think prophecy is so powerful? What does prophecy do? What does the gift of prophecy do? Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. That's why the Bible says do not despise prophecy. Do not put out the Spirit's fire and do not despise prophecy. Do not hold prophecy in contempt because it encourages people and strengthens people. Faith can arise and yet God afresh and anew. Love, peace, encouragement, and strength are the basis that we need to cultivate inside us for faith to be cultivated. Then we walk this life out by the gospel. Very simply, I want to end here. How does that process take place? Because it's very key how that takes place in our lives. It takes place through four things. Revelation, repentance, equipping, and engaging. Revelation. What is revelation? We've got to live by revelation. Revelation explains who God is, reveals who God is. When revelation comes, I change. When I submit to the revelation, I turn around and change my perspective from my mind, that's repentance. So revelation repentance is key. So faith builds up, God speaks to me, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. Gee, no, this attitude in me is not right. I need to adjust it. I just repented. It's that simple, people. Now I live by the gospel. Very naturally. The gospel does the work. That's the beauty about it. Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples teaching them this principle, how to receive revelation. Kept using parables and this and that and this and the calm in the storm. And he said, oh, where's your faith? Where's your faith? He was teaching them how to appropriate revelation because God is always speaking. He's always speaking. And revelation repentance comes through intimacy. Intimacy is a place where this is cultivated in me, revelation repentance. Just to move in quickly, then equipping. What does equipping do? Equipping helps us understand. It equips us. So there's a course going about dreams. Lord, help me understand dreams. So we want to equip people. There's maybe a course on the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, how do they work? It's not about the gifts. It's about you, but I want to be more equipped so I can be more effective. That's why we get equipped. That's why we need to read stuff and be part of stuff and part of home groups and part of what's going on because it equips us. 
That's what it does. It equips us. It gives us tools in our hands so we can be effective. And the last one is engaging. Then I begin to engage people, engage life, engage situations. And this engaging is a natural outflowing of everything else that has happened in my life. I don't do it for the sake of I do it because of who I am. Am I making sense? It flows naturally. It's not a doing mentality. It's a being mentality. Let me use this example. You know Michelle and I, well, I go to Panera quite a bit. We live out near Charlestown, and we, I've been going to that Panera quite a while, and i built up a rapport with many of the people there, so just like I did with the one year. So they all know me now, whatever the case is, and we got to know some of the people that work there. They just that life has come at them, and life has come at them hard, and life has just hit some of them very hard. And so many of them are fairly inside just, just broken. I don't know how else to put it. And so um, Michelle and I were uh, at Panera one day, and we were chatting about we needed to spring clean our house. So one of the girls at Panera, I'd got to know her quite well, and in the conversation we had heard that she sometimes, as a part-time job, helped clean houses. So Michelle and I decided to reach out to her, one, to help her financially, but two, to expose her to a very natural lifestyle of the gospel. So we made arrangements. She came over to her house. I made sure music, gospel music was playing in the background. I honestly did. I went and put it on. I just let it go through. And what we noticed, I was in my office working. Michelle was working with her. When I came out and interacted with Michelle and just the way we entered, she stopped everything and she watched us. She literally did. She stopped and she watched us. And she watched us interact. And what we noticed is something was being imparted to just by our natural interaction, which she had never seen in her life. And we knew life was going into it. We just could feel life was going into it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about, living the gospel. So we were intentional about getting someone in our house to be able to see something of the expression. She doesn't understand it that way, but that was the intention of our heart. Not beat her over the head with the Bible, but that she could be attracted to some life. And even now when we go there, she comes and pours her heart out to us. Michelle and I were the other day. She came and told us stuff that, very confidential stuff. And what's happening there? God is slowly drawing her, drawing her, drawing her, drawing her. Live the gospel, people. Live the gospel out. Just be you. Don't try and be anybody else. Just be you. But know that the life of Christ saves you daily in this life. But not only you, the life of Christ works in you and through you to touch other lives. And my friends, that is the gospel. That's the fullness of the gospel. Not just going to heaven. That is the fullness of the gospel. That's why the gospel is the power of God because it will work in your life and through your life to touch another life just very naturally. Strengthen yourself. Encourage yourself. Get at peace with the Lord. Know that you're loved. Let the revelation come. Change your attitude and your mindset when the revelation comes. That will lead to repentance. Changes me inside, even as a Christian. You with me? Get equipped and then just engage. Be intentional about gauging people that God has brought across your path very naturally and watch the gospel at work. Watch the gospel change lives.
Watch the gospel impact people. Hallelujah. Then we live out the gospel. Very naturally. Very easily. But it's by the power of the love of God. And it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, touching lives. Amen. I hope this helps. Let me read a final story just to help you about faith. Faith is like a clutch. Faith is like a clutch in a car with a manual transmission. Imagine a young driver in a convertible sports car with a friend at his side, and as he takes off down the highway, shifting through the gears, then zooming along at 70, 80, 90 miles an hour, with the wind blowing through his hair, and the driver turns to his friend and said, man, what a clutch. Of course not. He would say, man, what an engine. All that the clutch does is to engage the driver to engage the power that is under the hood and translate it to the wheels. That's all the clutch does. Sometimes we say, man, what a man of faith or what a woman of faith. This guy said, never congratulate people on their faith, however, because in itself faith does nothing. If people exercise faith and anything else marvelous happens, it is not because of their faith. Their faith is only the clutch. The activity that is released through our faith is God's, and He is to be congratulated. He is the power under the hood. He is. If faith is such a key in walking in this new born-again life, so we continually daily are saved by His life, then how do we continue to cultivate faith? And that's why I touched on that. That's all. He will do the rest. Amen. He's the power under the hood. Your faith engages him.